A new chapter for Chris Krebs as Trump fires the top US cybersecurity official. And crowdsourcing on the dark side, how ransomware gangs are sharing their profits. These stories and more in this week's ISMG's Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. The November 3rd, 2020 U.S. presidential election has been described by election officials as the most secure in U.S. history, a sentiment not echoed by President Donald Trump, who took to firing the man responsible for securing the election, Chris Krebs, the director of the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. All of this, of course, over Twitter earlier this week. As the waves of support and praise for Krebs' leadership pour in across the InfoSec community, we thought it a good moment to play an excerpt from an interview conducted in August of this year at ISMG's New York Virtual Summit between Krebs and our senior vice president of editorial, Tom Field, who asked Krebs on what he considers to be his greatest goals and accomplishments beyond election security during his tenure as the first head of CISA. Here's his response. Yeah, well, the first thing that I set as, in a, as a goal uh, as I came into the department was actually establish this agency. Previously, it was the headquarters component, meaning it was not a standalone agency. It was known as the National Protection Programs Directorate, uh, which doesn't tell you a, a thing about what we do here. And so my top priority is working with Congress and getting the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Act established. And we're now coming up on our second anniversary, second birthday, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that was goal one. Goal two was making sure that we had the appropriate A, resources, and B, team together for election security. Other goals, really making sure that I continued the good progress that the federal government has developed really since the OPM hack, making sure that our federal government cybersecurity is continuing to accelerate and really proud of the work the team's done. Congress has provided us some excellent authorities under the binding operational directives where we can work collaboratively with CIOs and CISOs across the federal government uh, and make sure that we we understand what the risks are and put the, the appropriate mitigations against them. And then, and then the, I think the last thing, just really quick off the top, the National Risk Management Center, establishing that over two years ago now as the hub for strategic risk management analysis within the federal government, but also bringing our private sector partners in. We, we've launched great initiatives like the ICT Supply Chain Risk Management Task Force. Again, that was about two years ago. First of its kind, 20 IT companies, 20 comms companies, 20 federal agencies all working together to share best practices, which, which really kind of underlines and highlights our philosophy here, is that we want to be the organization. We are the organization that works cross-sector. It's per, We're purpose-built, but we bring stakeholders of all stripes together, whether you're federal government or the private sector or state and local government, whether you've, you're resourced or you're under-resourced, we bring everyone together to share best practices and really facilitate knowledge transfer from the haves to the have-nots. That's the advantage we have, I think, here at, at CISA, and that's one of those items I talked to you about on the election side, is that we can bring everybody together, build a community of practice, and really, I think, put leverage against our security problems. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Tech giant Steve Jobs once said that great things in business are never done by one person. They're done by a team of people, an observation ransomware gangs would surely attest to. However, how does this collaboration play out in reality? ISMG's executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, breaks down 
how exactly ransomware gangs are being so successful. Ransomware operators are making money hand over fist. While that is an unfortunate cybersecurity reality today, and has been true now for a few years, it's important to break down how exactly ransomware gangs are being so successful. One shift we've seen has been an increase in the use of affiliate-based business models. Look back five or six years, and some ransomware operators were developing and using their own code. Others, as part of the cybercrime-as-a-service economy, were offering automated toolkits, for example, CTP Locker, via a ransomware-as-a-service model. For this, criminals would typically pay a recurring subscription fee and get regular updates, designed to improve functionality and make the crypto-locking malware more difficult for security defenses to detect. Then it would be up to the subscribers to infect victims and demand and facilitate ransom payments. In recent years, however, a new model has emerged based on a different type of affiliate structure. Now, instead of paying to subscribe, affiliates will typically agree to share profits. This crowdsourced profit-sharing model is now being used by more than two dozen gangs, including such current heavyweights as Doppelpamer, Netwalker, Ryuk, The Maze Gang, which may have recently retired, as well as Sotonokibi, also known as Revil. For Sotonokibi, for example, affiliates keep 60% of every ransom payment, rising to 70% after they book three successful ransom payments. So what do operators get for their cut? Well, the operator develops and maintains the crypto-locking malware. Each version gets distributed to an affiliate with a unique ID, so affiliates get their cut of the haul whenever one of the victims pays. The operator handles that part too, oftentimes by maintaining a self-service payment portal for victims to pay their ransom, typically in bitcoins. Operators may also provide customer support, as well as a variety of other extortion tactics, such as maintaining a dedicated blog where non-paying victims can be named and shamed and stolen data leaked to try and force payment. All of these innovations have been designed by criminals to help them more easily earn more money. The Maze Group, for example, both ran its own attacks while also using affiliates. And according to a new report into affiliate programs released this week by threat intelligence firm Intel 471, the Maze Gang found that using affiliates was a much easier and more reliable way to maximize profits compared to running attacks itself. Maze is also to thank for the increase in ransomware attacks that include a data exfiltration component. Faced with the prospect of being named and shamed, seeing sensitive data get leaked or auctioned, or sometimes in return for thieves promising to delete the stolen data if they receive a ransom, unfortunately, more victims have been paying. Here's Chris Lovejoy, who leads EY's Global Consulting Cybersecurity Services. Exfil is becoming kind of more common, if you will. Now, it's interesting in the discussions of proof of life, et cetera, you know, in and around the data, but that is the norm. Now, what will happen is under a ransomware attack, there will be indications or there'll be supposition by the group that they've exfiltrated your data and are going to disclose that data. That kind of forces your hand a little bit. So it's a very interesting discussion that organizations are having right now, because even those that would have said, no way we're ever going to do it, 
they're beginning to think about it because the cost benefit analysis and the recommendations of the insurance agencies and yes, even law enforcement is that under some circumstances, it's just better to get it over with, pay the fees and move on. One measure of how organizations are paying more in ransoms comes via ransomware incident response from Coveware. In a recent look at thousands of cases it investigated during Q3, Coveware reports that the average ransom payment, when a victim pays, was $234,000. That was an increase of 31% from Q2. Coveware says the bigger ransomware operations have been consistently trying to hit bigger targets so they can demand bigger ransoms. Unfortunately, it seems to be working. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. And finally, with the escalation of cyber attacks in the healthcare sector during the COVID-19 pandemic, supply chain partners need to strengthen their security controls and defenses, says Vishwas Gadgil, director of pharmaceutical firm Merck's IT Risk Management and Security Organization. ISMG's Marion Kolbesok-McGee, executive editor of our healthcare infosecurity site, spoke with Gadgil recently and asked him what emerging supply chain security risk issues he thinks the healthcare sector will face in the new year. Here's his answer. So the key topic that we are looking at is how do we have the visibility, uh, the risk visibility into the overall supply chain, the nth tier supply chain, as we call it, right? The current focus for all the companies, for the most of the companies, is about your direct suppliers that you have contracts with. But what about the suppliers of suppliers? We don't necessarily go that far down. But they could form a critical point of failure, as Ed was calling out before. Take an example of these logistics providers, right? Think about someone like UPS or FedEx. If they are impacted significantly, that can disrupt the entire value chain, not just for healthcare, but many other industries. So how do we get visibility into that nth tier supply chain? That's one area that we as a task group we are looking at, and in general, health sector is looking at as well. What are those critical points of failure across the sector? That's the second topic we are looking at. And then the third one that we are looking at is how can we reduce the burden of doing these risk assessments and risk treatments on the buyer side? And then on the supplier side, uh, responding to all these you know, myriads of audits and assessments on probably daily basis. And can we come up with a industry-specific supplier certification? something similar to PCI or in auto industry, they have something called TI-SACS. So those are three kind of key areas we are looking at from the task group perspective. That's it from ISMG's Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. 